let's find the book of Haggai. Uh, if you need to open to your like front pages to find it, that's, that's okay. <laughs> um, it's towards the end of the Old Testament. Uh, squeeze between the books of Zephaniah and Zechariah. And if you don't know where that is, again, look, into the, <laughs> look at the front. It's a beautiful page right there. Um, and, it, and it helps. <laughs> So I am so excited to be part of this weekend with you guys. Uh, this is the first time that I've ever talked like this in front of people. And uh, so you guys get the joy of me speaking and also all that like first time nervousness as well. Uh, and so to prepare, I didn't talk for three days. No, <laughs> it was really awkward at work. <laughs> Uh, so the goal of this weekend, as um, has been said before, is you know, to provide rest from the weariness of regular life. And one way to find rest is to be among fellow believers, fellow Christians, fellow women, but also to find rest in the scriptures, in the promises of God revealed in scripture. And so with that, with that aim, as we study Haggai, um, there's a lot of really good stuff in here. And it may be unusual to, I don't know, to study Haggai at a women's retreat. It's probably not like the, the top uh, on there. Um, it's really great because Haggai is a story rich with um, God's people who are struggling because of their own sin. And yet God is faithful to redeem his people out of their sin. And I think we can all relate to that. So uh, this book, it's about God. It's about the glory of God and how he is able to fulfill his promises, even when it seems bleak. So it's my task tonight to read through the whole book of Haggai, and you guys can follow with me, uh, to present the historical background of the book and the themes. And then tomorrow we'll be ready to dig into specifics. So let's open our Bibles and read through Haggai. And again, bear with me. Um, so Haggai 1, verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the lands and on the hills and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what, brings, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and all their labors. 
Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you? Who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and all the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold or fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and says, It does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, they were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, they were but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. 
I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and to overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. This is the word of Lord, the Lord. Um, so, what is he talking about? <laughs> uh, you know, I had to read it a few times before I even, you know, got a hint. But um, to put things into perspective, let's take something that we can all remember and feel. Is do you guys remember Hurricane Katrina? And how the people in New Orleans were unexpectedly driven out of their homes because of the storm. How the storm completely devastated the town. What do you think it would have been like to live in New Orleans at the time and to return to your home after such a catastrophe? Home would not feel like home. You know that saying, like, home is where the heart is. Saying that home is not a place, but, you know, it, it evokes an emotion. It evokes the feeling of comfort. It evokes the feeling of peace. Um, you know, it, a feeling of belonging. And just like the, you know, the hurricane victims, when they came back, they probably did not have those feelings. They probably felt anxious and worried and uncertain, and they didn't know what to expect. Hi, guys. Welcome. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of what these guys are walking into, right? They have been in exile. They have been uh, sent from their home. And when they come back, their home is not their home. Uh, the, you know, they have been gone from the promised land that God had given them for over 60 years, and they have been in exile, living in a constant state of unrest in a foreign land. And yeah, they, they don't feel comfortable, they feel uncertain, they feel at unrest. And so now, they were finally invited back to their home, to Jerusalem, and they didn't know what to expect when they came back. And then when they walked back into the streets, did they feel comfort? Did they feel peace? And did they feel belonging? Far from it. The place that they used to call home is now, a, is now not home. And they don't know what to do. Uh, as they live in this place that should be their home, it's only a shadow of what it once was. And these Israelites are wondering two things. Has God abandoned us? And will God still fulfill his promises? So, as we dig in, uh, as we talk more about the historical background of Haggai, um, we're going to start with some archaeological information. And this might be a term that you might know if you're doing the judges study with us, because it's a, a term that Jen Wolfen uses. And it's a term used to describe the original purpose of the book. Um, Jen says that we can't properly understand what a book has to say to us until we have tried to understand what it had to say to them. So the questions that I will go through tonight are, who wrote the book of Haggai? To whom was it written? When was it written? And what are the central themes? So is Haggai the author of Haggai? Uh, that's a good question. So we don't know for sure. A lot of people do say that Haggai is the author. Um, but he is also referred to in the third person in this book. 
when you write a paper, do you usually refer to yourself in the third person or not? Uh, not usually, but, um, but we think that Haggai, or most people who believe that Haggai is the author, used his name in the book just for the ease of reading so that we know who is talking instead of when you say I, we're like, who is I? But if you say Haggai, you know, is the prophet, um, it's easier to understand. So the Bible doesn't tell us who the author is. All we know for sure is Haggai is the one through whom the prophecies came. And so as we try to learn more about Haggai, we actually know little about him. Um, But we think that that was intentional, so that we don't focus on the prophet, but we focus on God in the story. Uh, We focus on his word, not the one through whom it was spoken. Um, So a little... uh, so. You guys can determine whether or not you think that Haggai was written by Haggai or not. Uh, Second question, when was it written? So if you look at chapter 1, verse 1, it states that very specific date. It was the second year of King Darius. Now Darius was a Persian king who became king in 522 B.C. So doing the math, it dates the book at 520 B.C. Now, a little background on Darius and why he is the king is, um, does anyone remember who sent the Israelites into exile? It was anybody? The Babylonians, yes. So the Babylonians sent the Israelites into exile, and then the Persians conquered the Babylonians. And so now the Persians have control of of Israel and um, of Jerusalem. And, uh, and so, and it was actually the Persians who invited the Israelites back. And so, uh, let's see. Yeah, so they, uh, the Persians invited the Israelites back into their land in, fi- uh, let's see, 539 B.C. So just a little history there for you guys. Um, many of the Israelites were sent into exile, but not all. There were some that remained uh, that were the poor of the land, that didn't have a lot of money, and they were actually forced into servitude. So when the Israelites came back from exile, who would be living in the land? You would have Persians, you would have Israelites, and there's probably still Babylonians living there too. So um, home is not home. And once the Israelites began to return to their home, this time period in history became known as the post-exilic time period, uh, just meaning after the exile. And to place it into maybe a broader context, uh, there's three books of the Bible that were also written in the post-exilic time. So you have Haggai, you have Zechariah, and you have Malachi. And those are the last three books in the Old Testament as we know it. Um, So uh, the next question whom was it written? And as we can see in the first few verses of the book, and even later on, uh, this book was written as a prophecy. It's addressed to Zerubbabel, the governor, or the, yeah, the governor, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the Israelites. So Zerubbabel was the governor who first led the group of Israelites back from exile. So he's the one that brought them back. And an interesting fact here is that Zerubbabel is also part of the Davidic line, and we'll learn more about why that's important later on. 
the prophecy's goal was for the Israelites to rebuild the temple so that they would have had to hear the prophecy to know what to do. So it's, uh, you know, as Haggai is giving out the prophecy, he didn't just give it to, you know, Zerubbabel and Joshua and expect them to go do something. He wanted the Israelites to also hear the prophecy. So he would have had to address them. And what's interesting is because this book has such precise dates, we actually know specifically kind of what's going on. And the first day of the first prophecy um, he, that he gave was most likely a feast day, which there would have been a large group of Israelites gathered together. And it was most likely the feast of the tabernacle. Um, so this prophecy, it wasn't a spontaneous prophecy, like all of a sudden the Lord gave it to him and all of a sudden he gave it out. It was most likely a planned event to tell the people um, you know, the message that they needed to hear. Um, and the, uh, the Feast of the Tabernacle was a time for remembering the goodness of God, what he had done during the Exodus, which would have cut to the heart of these Israelites because they themselves would have just gone through a similar experience. So the Feast of the Tabernacle remembers when Moses brought the Israelites back over you know, from Egypt across the wilderness, through the wilderness wanderings, and into this promised land. And they themselves were out of the promised land and were brought back. And so this, the Feast of the Tabernacle would have been, um, you know, it would have been uh, brought that exodus back to mind. So it would have been a very, uh, probably emotional time for them. Oh, my musing is you know, who knows really. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so something to keep in mind. And then in what style was this book written? It's a narrative, but it's also an oracle. Now, an oracle has a specific definition that goes with it. Uh, it means it's a direct attribution to the Lord with the words, thus says the Lord. And so many times in this book you hear, thus says the Lord of hosts, and then he gives this prophecy. And so that prophecy specifically is an oracle. And uh, you can't really take the two apart, narrative versus oracle, so they're kind of combined together to form this one book. Uh, if you noticed, um, there are four different dates of oracles that were given, listed in Haggai. Um, I'll, I'll point them out so you guys can even like you know find them with your finger. Um, and uh, because of this, we know that the book of Haggai spans four months long, from the first date to the last date. And we can see these dates listed in Haggai 1.1, 1, 1, uh, Haggai 1.15, and 2.20. And if you even notice that the, um, the dates in 2.10 and 2.20 are the same dates. So uh, two oracles in one day. It must have been a special day. <laughs> Uh, okay, and then, um, so now we'll talk about the central themes of this book, and before I state what the theme of the book is, I want to point out one thing that it's not, and it's not a moralistic tale to be told in a time of um, rebuilding or revitalizing a church, saying, hey, you guys have to give more money because our church, it lies in ruins and you have to give. That's not what's going on here, and so we have to understand what is happening and what their view of the temple is. 
because our view of the temple is different from their view, and so we can't look at it the same. So, um, yeah. So to understand the theme of this book, we need to see the temple as the Israelites saw the temple, which was a visible symbol of God dwelling in the midst of his people. So for us, the temple does not equal church. It's something else. And I don't want to jump too far ahead too soon, but I want us thinking, what is our temple? If it's not the church, what is it? Where does God dwell? And so to answer this, let's kind of flip in our book to Ephesians 2. If you guys can follow with me. Some of you might already know or think you know where God dwells among us, but it's nice to be reminded from God's word. So Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The temple is a central theme of this book. At the time of Haggai, the temple was in ruins. When the Israelites returned to Jerusalem, they started rebuilding their temple right away. They knew it was important. They had been away from God for so long. So when they came back, they started rebuilding it right away. So why in Haggai was it not built yet? They had stopped rebuilding due to the tensions with their foreign, foreign nations. Because their home was not their home, there was a lot of people who had things to say about what they were doing, and they did not want that temple rebuilt. And so to appease their, their neighbors, they stopped building, and that is why their temple was not rebuilt. This is not a peaceful time. When this book was written, it was not a peaceful time. There was tension all around. We have Persians. We have Babylonians. We have poor Israelites who maybe made homes from themselves in the empty houses and now are being kicked out of their homes once again. There is constant conflict. And this is the time in which we're reading this book. The destruction of the temple, when it happened, before the Israelites were sent into exile, marked God's abandonment of the city. The Israelites need to rebuild so that God would once again dwell among them and also for them to be able to make sacrifices, offer sacrifices to God. They need to rebuild so that they would receive the blessing and presence of God. They wanted a God to dwell among they wanted God to dwell among them and they wanted a reminder of the covenant of a future king that God made with them. You see that because just after Haggai's first oracle they started to rebuild and that's exactly what God wanted to give them. You see that when he blesses them the moment they first laid the foundation, when they started the work, not when they finished it. When they started the work is when he would start to bless them. So now let's look at why was Haggai written? Why is it in the Bible and what does it teach us about God? Haggai, interestingly, was one of the few prophets who saw the fruit of his labor. He had a prophecy, he had an oracle to say, go rebuild the temple. And what did the Israelites do? 
they went and rebuilded the temple. Not many prophets have that effect, or we see that fruition of their prophecies, which is kind of cool. The temple itself was rebuilt over the course of four to five years. And so the Lord, he calls us to holiness, to strive for holiness. He doesn't expect the temple to be built in one day, but he does expect for us to start building the temple now. And if we're looking at the whole story of Scripture as one unified story of God's redemptive history, then we also need to consider Haggai's place in that story. Haggai is pointing us to Christ. I'm sure you guys could have guessed that. Haggai is pointing us to Christ. Uh, And then two ways to keep in mind as we study the book in depth tomorrow. Haggai points us to Christ through the temple. Uh, John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Haggai points us to Christ through Zerubbabel, who is part of the genealogy of Christ. Uh, Ian Duguid, who's uh, actually a professor at Westminster, who also wrote a commentary on, on Haggai, says this, Haggai is all about the ongoing work of building up the people of God, a work that is primarily God's, but a work in which he, by his spirit, invites us to participate. So have assurance that even when things seem war-torn and ravaged, God is still at work, and he is faithful to his word and to his promises. We'll learn more about when Colleen teaches us from the text tomorrow. So uh, let's end in prayer. Dear Lord, the Israelites spent their time and energy trying to fix everything themselves. You were there patiently waiting for them to turn to you, and they didn't. Help us to do better. Help us to turn towards you, that you are the one to bless or to curse, that no matter how hard we work, if we are not doing it for you and for your glory, we will never be satisfied. Lord, help us learn from all the Israelites' mistakes so that we do not have to make them ourselves. Lord, deliver us from all the ways we fail you. And may you bless us as we have fellowship together and throughout the rest of the retreat. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you, Alexa. You're going to run into the beach eventually.